Welcome to episode 13 of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. I'm just going to read you a sentence and the sentence goes as follows. Research stories portray science as a human-driven endeavor full of success, uncertainties, missteps and failures, which in turn promotes transparency of the research process. Yes, today we'll talk about science storytelling. And just this sentence, I think, shows that science storytelling is actually an underrated approach in the broad field of science communication. Because it is an underrated approach, I think it's really good that we actually have a talk about that in this episode of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast and unpack a little bit what storytelling actually is. And we'll do it with one of the co-authors who actually wrote this sentence that I read to you just a second ago. So welcome to the show and I hope that you enjoy it and that you'll take something away from it. Let's go. It just opens the door for people to actually get engaged in your research who might not already have been willing to go deep to read your paper or analyze your result. Welcome to episode number 13 of Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Today we talk about storytelling and how to use that for science communication. And I'm really happy to actually have a guest here who knows a lot about that. He's a PhD candidate with the University of Oxford uh, in the broad uh, geography department. And um, he does their uh, work on how extreme weather events are being communicated. And on the side, he also organizes and facilitates science storytelling workshops. And he's had quite some experiences also in the big world of media. And But he's gonna talk about that in a second. So welcome to the podcast, George Ettinger. Yeah, thanks, Julius, for having me. Cool. Josh, before we start and we kick it off and we'll talk about what storytelling is and how it can be used by, by researchers and by research organizations, would you just give me a little bit, or, and, the, and the audience, of course, a little bit, uh, an idea of who you are, what you do, and why you get up in the morning? And what made you the person that you actually are today? Four questions in one go. I'm good at asking a lot of questions <laughs> without have, uh, waiting enough for the answers. Off you go. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, let's jump right in then. Um, well, I guess quickly, I'm a New Yorker originally, uh, studied there for my undergrad, then worked in Washington, D.C., in and around politics. I'd also had a brief stint working in television. And around 2016, 2017, I kind of ran away from my country, uh, got a break, and went to the U.K. to study for my master's here at Oxford in environmental change and management. And I'm now here in the third year of my Ph.D. in the Department of Geography. Super cool. And I found you actually through a science communication newsletter and there you were mentioned because you had just written a correspondence in Nature, uh, also, about si uh, also about storytelling. Can you just give me an idea of what, what did you write about in this, in this correspondence? And obviously, I'm also going to put the link into the show notes later on. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of interesting dialogue going on right now about the role of storytelling in science and where and how it might be appropriate or inappropriate. And we had uh, just left a comment on an article that was uh, a little more skeptical or at least hesitant about storytelling. And we certainly agree with them that there are risks. But we also think if you completely sort of cut out this opportunity to use storytelling, it's a real missed opportunity to more effectively communicate our work, especially beyond our own disciplines. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also something we're going to talk about in this episode. So. Let's kick it off. So the first question obviously is like storytelling. Is it just a buzzword? I hear a lot about like, oh, you have to be better at that, la, 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 la. But like, let's maybe start with the basics. What is storytelling in the first place? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And it's not actually asked often enough. And it absolutely is a buzzword. And it's thrown around all over the place. What I'm talking about here is using well, what, what everyone knows as a story, characters going on a journey, essentially. There's a lot of different definitions out there. But simply, we're talking about when you're presenting about research, talking about the people behind the research or the characters who are involved in it and the twists and turns, trying to present it as a journey. Um, a good way to think about it is the what what you could call the Pixar storytelling model. And I picked this up from reading about how they approach their storytelling and they're real scientists of storytelling. Uh, they're real story scientists, really. And the most Pixar, basic framework is, this, is- What is Pixar? Yeah. Pixar is this, this it's, a, it's a studio, isn't it? And they make these animated videos yes. of movies. Yeah, Pixar is, you, you know, for Toy Story, Wally, Finding Nemo, I'm, they're renowned because every single one of their films is a huge success and they put a lot of time into their stories. So there's this storytelling framework and it goes, once upon a time there was blank, one day blank, but then blank until finally blank. And that's like the basic structure from fairy tales to novels to movies. It's a character going on a journey and there's some kind of consequence. Why, why do we like storytelling so much? Like why you, you just said, okay, these Pixar people, they make awesome stories. And you just said that most of their, or like all of their um, movies become really huge successes. Why are we so, as people, why are we so prone to, to storytelling? Yeah, it's another great question. And I don't really have like one straight answer, but some people call us the storytelling animal. Um, they There is science that shows that our brains process narratives Uh, differently. Mm -hmm. Different parts of the brain are affected when you talk, speak in a narrative about a journey rather than just information being piled on. So there is something about it and it transcends cultures and time for as long as civilization has been around or even earlier, really, if you're going to count cave paintings. But um, storytelling <laughs> has always been uh, a part of who yeah. we are. I, I, I want to read you one um, one sentence out of your own correspondence in nature, and that is stories can be used to misrepresent science, but credible science communication and storytelling are not mutually exclusive. They can be great allies. So, and I like that sentence, but I was wondering if you could draw the line between what actually science communication is versus what storytelling is um, to, to kind of, because you say that they are, can be allies. So that means they're not the same thing and they are not the same thing, but could you just like, maybe give us a little bit of an idea where you think they overlap or where they where, where they're different. Yeah, well, I mean, in an ideal world, storytelling would just be a part of science communication. But we do see a lot of confusion. What is storytelling? Is it appropriate? So people often view them as two different things. So I'll yeah. just first say that. Uh, and the second thing is that storytelling is the reason we put that line in there, because it's, of course, true that you can use storytelling to put out falsehoods, or even uh, if you're looking at misinformation uh, online, they often yeah. use stories. And, and effective sort of politicians um, often do this as well. So that's the structure. Um, the, the, but the, the, there's the difference between structure and content. And if you are deliberately falsifying your results or misrepresenting your research, you can do that whether or not that's in a story. It's not mm. the fault or the storytelling per se to blame and that there's a distinction there if that makes sense yeah completely yeah so that means if you want to push a particular narrative then you can do it in terms of story or in in, in other ways 
but it's not the way it's not that the storytelling itself it's it's there it's the fault of the storytelling but the storytelling it can be kind of like a method of doing it and that can be used in a good way and in not so good way I understand that. exactly it's it's an approach to commu science communication yeah. um and, and it's a tool it's not always uh, applicable or appropriate but it's a tool that all scientists should be trained and not just scientists researchers across really any discipline yeah 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 I want to read you another sentence that you guys wrote in, in, the, in the correspondence, and that is, um, in contrast with straight communication of experimental results, telling individual research stories portrays science as a human-driven endeavor full of success, uncertainties, missteps, and failures, which in turn promotes transparency. I like that you put in there this, this human factor, because very often science is seen as the truth, even though actually science is the search for truth. And I think... What you just put in there like this to show that it's just people doing the research and doing the best they can and trying to make sense of the world um, is a very beautiful thing. And I think it pictures very much what science really is about. Um, but how can that be done? So how can we how, how can how can researchers and research organizations in general use these uh, storytelling methods in order to, you know, show all the success, show all the uncertainties, show all the missteps and the failures to make it more human? Right. Well, if you were to speak to any writer or someone who does some kind of creative storytelling in any really artistic medium, yeah. they would immediately spot how science is full of fascinating stories, not only about the research discoveries themselves, but the people, the humans behind them, as you say. Yeah. Um, so, look, if you're writing a scientific paper, probably doing that personal narrative is not it's not the right place. Mm. But if you're giving a presentation, you're speaking with a family member Uh, in the U.S., if it's over Thanksgiving and your crazy Coming uncle asks they, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your uncle's like, what are you doing in your this lab? Instead of just piling on the information, the statistics, the theories, why not start with, you know, the human aspect of it? Um, show that the people who are involved with this and, and don't just talk about what went right, but what went wrong, because people can relate to uncertainties, failures. If you saw a movie um, that was made in Hollywood, that nothing went wrong. There was no conflict. It would be quite boring, right? It would for <laughs> sure be boring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what we want to hear and to kind of feel yeah, feel connected as well to the protagonists, isn't it? Because we only feel connected when we yeah, when we feel with them because something goes wrong. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, and science can be, it's not, it's often seen as just a very linear process, but the research world for any of us who work in it know that it's not. Um, and there are successes, but it's tough, and sometimes there are no clear answers, and that's a great story. Yeah, when we when we look now at like at a lot of communi science communication that is done by organizations or by research organizations, you know, they write these press releases or they write on Twitter, "Hey, we have a new paper" or that stuff. That's that is kind of I don't know. Can you call it linear? I'm not sure how to call it. But how how can how can research organizations learn about storytelling how it how it's actually done and and what what can they do to be more let's put it maybe call it human centered or like give give a face to give a, give a better face to to science through stories for example what 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 can we do maybe give give us some some examples from your experience or from your from your workshops that you do right yeah so i run these workshops and i was asked to do it about two years ago for a group just to talk about sort of communication and i was like well what if I just talked about movies and television, what I love about them and what we could learn from it. And I've yeah. now done about 30 of these workshops for all sorts of different groups and written That's a lot about cool. it. And 
we need to do more trainings. This is something that should be a core principle. And there, there are a lot of people talking and providing guides on storytelling. There's definitely materials out there. Maybe I can share them with you to yeah, catch this podcast. Yeah, that would be great. Um, but there are like very practical tips. Um, I think when you're giving a presentation, starting with the human side. So uh, an example I like to use that I attended a talk by a researcher and she was looking at climate history, millions of years of climate history, looking at ice and stalagmites that she had collected in some mm. caves. And she had been speaking about it um, for you know a long talk. And at the very end, she showed a picture of herself rappelling through this cave on ropes in a dark cave. And everyone kind of like, whoa, look at that. Look at her. And it's the kind of thing like if you start with that story, show that picture of yourself. And it doesn't have to be that dramatic. It could just be a picture of you in your lab or you with your lab mates or any kind of story, just something that's interesting, an anecdote. Hook people in from the beginning because any good creative uh, writer knows you need to hook people from the very first page or the first mm -hmm. scene. To make to make them know that it's that the time that they will spend in the next minutes, whatever, is time worth spending, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the unfortunate truth is that people do rely on their first impressions quite a lot to judge how much attention they want to pay to something or someone. And yeah. first impressions are important, whether you are tweeting about a paper or giving a talk, um, you really want to find a way in. Yeah, but I, like I'm, I'm going to be devil's advocate now, uh, Josh. So many researchers that I would know would say, yeah, but this is not what matters. What matters is the the outcome of the of the analysis, for example, the numbers, um, the significance levels, all that kind of stuff. What would you tell to them? I think, I, yeah, because what would you tell to them if I would be such a person that's telling you, I don't care who goes through the bloody cave, but I care about the the, the results of the data. Yeah, well, if you want to increase the impact of your research, you want to make that more accessible, as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. This is just a tool that you can use to ensure that people understand the important work you're doing. And yeah. or not only understand, but are also interested to hear about it, especially those who are beyond your immediate peers. Yeah, because I just had this feeling, or this idea, maybe maybe you agree, maybe you don't, is like that if you actually put your, a, a picture of yourself in the cave or whatever in the beginning, then people might actually, you know, there's maybe 5% of, of the people who are listening to the to your uh Uh, to your presentation in a in a conference in a conference setting or something, but there's probably a lot of them who don't. They might be a bit interested, but not that much interested. But maybe if you show them a story or if you give it a human touch, they they remember that or they they become more alert, and then actually your science can spread because because you know, you you hook them in or you got them in, in 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 the beginning. Would you would you would you say that's right? Absolutely. I mean, it's we you mentioned it before. Why do we love stories? I mean. It's a part of human culture, and it's something that researchers who want their work to get out there, who want people to be interested in their work, should be using or at least considering where appropriate. Yeah, cool. Not like that. So now, now we're coming to this this little bit like uh, social media part because you know this podcast that I do here is I, I feel that a lot of researchers actually are just missing out on all the opportunity to communicate science on, on, on digitally. And I know digitally can mean newspapers and blogs, but you know, there's, there's podcasts available. That's what we are doing right now. Or there's like Twitter or Instagram and all these stories. So I feel that storytelling 
Oh, I could think that storytelling actually becomes much more easy on these social platforms because it's not just text that we're writing or like blog articles or in newspapers, but that we can actually give our voice out there, like that people can listen to our voice or that people can see pictures of us or actually use videos of us. So, so what's your perception of how, how social media is connected to storytelling? And yeah, let's, let's, let's do that for, first. Like what, what, what opportunities do you see? And also maybe not opportunities, but what's the, what's the opposite of opportunity? What downsides do you see with using social media uh, for science, uh, science communication and particularly storytelling? Well, um, so I'll start with a story to illustrate my point. Nice. At least. <laughs> so everyone for the, since the pandemic started has been tweeting and trying, you know, talking about their views on what's going on, what needs to be done, especially yeah. concerned for those who are not getting vaccinated. Everyone's putting that out there. But one story posted on social media really broke through. It was a few months ago, uh, maybe in August or July. A nurse in a hospital in the U.S. told her story of every day she has patients in the COVID wing that she's trying to help and they're suffering. And they say to her, can I please have the vaccine now? And she tells them with you know a lot of sadness and, and she tells them, honestly, it's too late. It's too late for you to get the vaccine. You are, are already sick. You're already on the ventilator. And this personal anecdote of hers just absolutely went viral. It was just a text block on Facebook. And that somehow stands out to us rather than just people saying, I'm so disappointed that people aren't wearing masks or aren't getting vaccinated. That's a story and it's got emotion and there's something about it, right? And mm, it's touching, that's just one. Ex yeah. yeah. And that it's human. That's the key thing. It's not just information. It's human. Um, so, yeah, again, it's just something to consider in your tool set. When you're tweeting about the next paper you do, maybe talk a little bit about your experience writing that paper. Was it a hard paper to do? How was the review process? Did you have a really angry or mean reviewer too? Or were they congratulatory? Even several reviewers, how often did it come back? And how often did you feel this paper's not gonna get through at all? Yeah. yeah, like both, that will help your paper not only resonate with you know diverse audiences, but also fellow researchers who can empathize with that experience. Uh, and again, you were talking about like, why, do, what about the actual science? Isn't that the important thing here? It just opens the door for people to actually get engaged in your research who might not already have been willing to go deep to read your paper or analyze your results. I think that's the sentence that I'm going to put in the beginning of the whole episode, because uh, that was just that was gold. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's super cool. So tell me if I understand correctly that that social media, yeah, it just opens opens up more potential but it's not saying that it's all about social media it's obviously you can use a lot of other channels still and even if well, you just go to a conference and just have a normal talk isn't it, you can use storytelling skills there as well well julius I'll, I'll tell you though i i've been feeling in my opinion a little i wouldn't say skeptical social media is super important but yeah. it has its limits and i think all of us working in science communication have not put enough attention we put a lot of attention on one-sided messages how are we going to put our messages out there but we don't mm -hmm. think enough about the role of conversation whether that's happening online it can be over social media but really there is something about interpersonal conversation having that back and forth 
um, openness, listening, including stories to connect, but not just one side providing information. And that's something I've actually been working on. I started a project with some other students called uh, the Talk Climate Change Project at Oxford. And we've been trying to get people to speak with family, friends, their local communities, neighbors about climate change. Cool. And the goal is actually not just to provide a message, but to open questions, have that mm. back and forth. Mm. Because really, that is where science communication is extremely potent and powerful. Not just one-sided, that's something someone forgets about, but a back and mm. forth exchange. Yeah. I like that you, that you challenged me here a little bit. So thanks, thanks for that. And um, however, no, I say however. Um, not sure how to, how, to, how to phrase this now because I feel that social media has a lot of downsides and it has like, you know, what we just hear about Facebook and all these nasty stories and then pe people feeling uncomfortable because they, they compare themselves with others and stuff. So I, I, I see all these things. But when you just said like it's about real interaction, real conversation, I just felt this is what social media could be if it's used well. Through social media, you can talk to people very far away from yourself or like find people that are con yeah, interested in the same things. And, and if it's w well done, then it's actually about conversation. But yeah, it's really easy to be hijacked. Um, and that's something yeah. you need to be Look, I mean, really in an ideal aware. world, yeah. in an ideal world, oh. social media could be like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah. it's... And some people do have great experiences and conversations on social media, but yeah. I think we we we'll, we won't go down that rabbit hole of talking about the negative impacts of social mm, media, but no. all of us are well aware of them. Yes, we are now for sure. If you if you would have like one or two things to to advise, like we, I read, we talked a bit already about hands on hands on information or hands on tips. What but what? How would you differentiate storytelling? techniques or skills for individuals, like individual researchers that maybe go to a conference or whatever, and for, and for organizations. And I'm particularly actually interested in organizations because you know, you, if, if you're a person who's interested in, in storytelling, you can just do it. But how can you, as an organization, maybe support people in being educated about storytelling so that they use it, obviously apart from uh, hiring you for a workshop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, This is systemic. We, mm. to, to what extent does the research enterprise around the world want to invest and incentivize effective communication? Not right now. Yeah. What get yeah? What gets you tenure? Writing papers, and is that so? Like, we're, we have to think at a systems perspective. What is the goal of the system here? And right now, the incentives are just publish, 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 publish with very perish, limited. Yeah, publish or perish. Mm. And with very limited resources, trainings, opportunities for people to be effective communicators and also just teaching, being effective teaching in the classroom. And it's understandable that people are so busy trying to survive in this academic system that they don't have time to really put efforts. Some people do. Some professors, some uh, academics really care about communication, but it's understandable for those who don't have time to invest that much resources into mm. that. And you just said, you know, that you, you, you just said that professors and professors, as you just pointed out, have tenure, but the ones that don't have tenure, you know, for them, it's, yeah, it's more publish or perish. Yeah. Yeah. So you would, you would, do I understand correctly that you think there's a lot of systematic reasons in the current uh, system that actually prevent good science communication and storytelling to, to, to just be possible? Yeah. And the other thing I think it's important to say, and something I've had conversations with people and I've been thinking a lot about lately, is that we often pin the blame. If, if the public is not 
engaging with the science in a way that scientists are happy with, we sometimes end up pinning the blame, oh, the scientists haven't communicated effectively. Mm. Um, but it's not just about communication. It's, it, it's going back to that conversations. People are more complex than just you know, facts and information. We're cultural, we're human, we have different soci societal yeah. norms yeah. and politics. And, and the idea that we're just gonna provide information. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just saying, and people are not just empty buckets that you need to fill, but I, I interrupted you, sorry. No, yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's embracing a more nuanced picture of what science communication is. It's, we've, people have been talking about for decades now, this move from so-called public understanding of science to public engagement with science and technology. Mm. But it's actually not so much reflected in the practices we do. We acknowledge this public engagement side, but it's still very one-sided. Um, more opportunities... I uh, was in a virtual reality demonstration I attended uh, two days ago. And that's an example of a technology. We're not just showing people a film. You can actively, at least with some of these headsets that are going to be revolutionizing classrooms in the near future, hopefully in the next few years, children, students can play, can interact with scientific representations, visuals. That's the kind of, I think, the future of science communication. Yeah. Do you think that I should change my the name of the podcast from science communication to i don't know science and public engagement podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean i don't know <laughs> it was more like a rhetoric question no worries yeah but, but it, it, you were the second person actually really talking about that you know that like science communication does not necessarily imply the really interaction but it's really like i communicate to you or like to whoever is out there um And public engagement could be more like that the word in itself is already more interactive. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's right. Cool, George. Hey, we're coming to an end now. Um, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. If people want to reach out to you and have the feeling that they could learn from you, how can they? What's your preferred way of how people can reach out to you? And what can you maybe say one or two things about these, pot, these workshops that you do so that people actually understand or the audience really understands for wh where you might be able like to support them and what kind of challenges you can help them uh, overcome. Yeah, thanks. So you can find me on Twitter, Josh Ettinger, or on my website, uh, josh-ettinger.com. I think that's it. <laughs> I should know that. Um, uh, yeah, and I do run these workshops. There's lots of other people doing great workshops. I also recommend Randy Olson's And But Therefore. Um, I took his class and really found it. Um, the ABT method is really interesting too. And there's all sorts of stuff out there. Um, I'd like to, maybe Julius I'll, Julius, I'll send you some links to things after to share with your audience. But my workshops, um, they're one hour and essentially we talk about movies and television. What makes a great story in that medium, at least from my American Hollywood perspective, mm. and what are the sort of practical tips we can use in writing presentations? Um, and that's something I'm very eager to do, especially in um, the global South in developing countries and for NGOs, um, but also for anyone or groups, uh, students, organizations. Yeah. Cool. No, that sounds great, Josh. Cool. Um, yeah. Send me these links. I'm going to put them into the show notes. So, Hey, dear audience, if you listen to this, the, the links should be in, in the show notes and wherever you listen to this podcast, Josh, thanks for ha yeah, spending time with me today and coming on the show and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Julius. That's it for today's episode of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. I hope you liked it and I hope that you take something away from it. 
If that's the case, I would be really happy if you would maybe tell one friend or one colleague that this podcast exists so that we can actually make science more accessible in the long run. Take care and hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Bye.